Welcome to the Primetime Podcast. This is Dr. Chad Kuntz, your host. I'm a sports physical therapist, and I'm on a mission to learn what it takes to truly have the best health possible. I'm really excited about this show today, so let's get started. All right, and we are live, and I'm stoked to be live again. This is Dr. Chad Kuntz, I'm a sports physical therapist, and um, Chris Villani is our special guest today. And yeah. you know, we're we're kind of making the best out of it, especially during COVID nineteen. Where you know we don't have to be in the same room doing this, which is how I used to do it. But I've actually found it's been a lot of fun to do it from here. It's, it's convenient; we can do it from from afar, and we can reach a lot of people. For those hopping on uh, Facebook Live right now, and then we've also got yeah. YouTube, and then some of those people will catch it later on podcast. So again, yeah. thanks for thanks for making it, man. This is great. I, I always look forward to doing stuff like this and uh, connecting with other people, especially when it comes to either health you know, our mind wise. Right. Um, and we're being tested right now. Right. Uh, just as an individual, but also as, you know, a community, a group, uh, a planet. So it's fascinating to see how people are handling this in a stressful situation. So, yeah. um, anything that we can do that brings a smile to someone's face or a little relief or some help. I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are in dire need of it. You yeah. hear some ugly stuff. The reality is people are, are falling off the wagon, maybe more than we want. People are right. leaning on alcohol more than they want. Or, in fact, I put out a post the other day. Has your sleep been affected? You know, yes, no. Is it better or the worse? And a lot right. of people, I mean, I would say, geez, 90% or more said my sleep is significantly downhill. I've lost my routine. All the yep. people blending together. And yeah. this is actually perfect timing because I was kind of, I stumbled on you on Facebook and I looked into you. I was like, wow, this could be. Great, because we really haven't had someone come on yet in our show to have right. education from the mental side of things, right? And uh, gosh, we were just kind of talking before we got started live how, you know, having the right mentality, no matter what you're really going into, it matters, yeah. right? It absolutely matters. So from my side, the premium rehabilitative side where people are recovering from an injury, absolutely matters, right? But you work with some... Yeah. At even some higher level performance, right matters, and then you've got COVID nineteen, of course, and everything that's going right now, and and there we yeah. are again. You know what's going on between yeah. the years makes a big difference right. how we're approaching our everyday life. Yeah, and and you know if you, those are a couple of different areas you could tackle. When it the the biggest thing really is um, mindset is everything, and I think someone had actually put a. Um, uh, on the post in the Facebook post, they talked about, you know, you is mindset, you know, I think it really was in the form of some people just have that killer instinct and some people don't is, is the direction that he was coming to. And there is a part of the, that plays in there. The other thing is, is, uh, you know, we've all been kind of taught a lie and, and the lie is, is that we also always think positive and I'm positive. Life's going to suck. <laughs> what you, all right. So unless unless you're able to look at the situation, get a clear vision for how you want it, and then take action in the area of growth or contribution and other ways of helping other people, it, it, it's it, it's going to make something that sucks even worse. And so if I'm working like with an athlete or a business person, what I'm really looking for is not so much that they come to me and tell me what they think I should hear. It's more or less in when in their darkest moments. How do they get over that? What's the resolution? What are they learning from it? What are they growing for it? Because that's actually a teaching moment. Whether you like it or not, those would be the moments you look back on and go, 
wow, you know, it sucked, but I wouldn't give it up. That's so true. That's so true. Um, if you look at like Sylvester Stallone, who I love, it was it was uh, fascinating. Now that, of course, with COVID nineteen, you have a lot of different celebrities are doing these um, questions, question answers. So they have everyone submit their answers, and they, they do a personal uh, 12, 15 minute uh, Instagram uh, video, which is really fun to watch because you get to see them how they really are, not the superstar side of it. Right and. Someone asked him the question, and I think at least Stallone's like in the 70s or something. The guy legitimately could stop now, and people would say to them, yeah, you've done enough. You don't need to prove anything, right? right. Pretty much right. after Rocky and uh, yeah. you do all that. He looks at Stallone and go, gee, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of a, you're kind of slacking. No one would ever say that about the guy, right? right. Just full force, 100% goes for it. And they asked him, what's the, what is the, um, one thing that keeps him going every day. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be great. He's going to have some sort of like positive answer. And you know what it was? What was that? It was, re- it was regret. Ah. Goes, I don't want to know that I couldn't have wrote that next script, did something that day that could move my life forward. He goes, that is really what keeps me going is, is knowing that-, that I don't do it. It will never get done. And I thought that was fascinating because I was thinking, well, you know, you got to learn from your lessons and keep life and maybe some sort of yoga zen type of quote. But it was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so moments that we regret that either conform us or define us. Sure. Absolutely. So, well, but, let's do, um, I stumbled across your name and um, I wanted to help you educate others on, on really exactly what a performance strategist is because that's the... <laughs> A title you kind of go by, and I thought that was yeah. a pretty uh, fascinating title, and it's certainly something I wanted to learn more. So let's just maybe take a couple minutes and tell us a little bit more about what a performance strategist does and, and who you are. Okay, so it's a little background. Um, I was living in Seattle back in 2005. Uh, met my wife online. She lived out here in Charlotte, and I moved out here. I was working at Microsoft. Great job. And when I came out here, I really was looking for something to do. Um, in, in Seattle, beautiful place, got kids out there. I even got grandkids out there. Um, but Charlotte is beautiful and sunny. So when I came out here trying to get a job that I was looking for, wasn't working for me. So what I ended up doing is back in 2008 is taking a stage hypnosis training class in Las Vegas by uh, a mentor and a good friend of mine named Mark Savard. He's had a show out there for the past 15 years. Um, he's been doing hypnosis and mindset stuff, I'm guessing, for 20 plus years. But the one thing that I was really impressed with him is not just a show. It's how he understood how people work, the emotional part of the mind. It wasn't just a script or whatever else. He was really teaching of if you can understand people on the emotion side, what really drives them, you can get so much out of it. So from there on, I became a stage hypnotist. I'm a professional hypnotist right now. Um, um, that kind of got me working in the direction of helping people. Cause I've always loved doing that. I think mean, helping people to even for a smile, that's a good thing. And so I opened up a Charlotte hypnosis place, started bringing in people and stopped smoking and, um, fears and phobias and stresses and fear of flying and stuff. And the best part was when I would always get these email back or messages back going, wow, thank you. You made my life much more better or I've improved. And I would get these like three or six months later. So now that they're showing that there wasn't just when they walked out, they felt good. 
we now had a track record because if they're still letting me know six months later that something had helped them out, that means I left an impact in the life. Right. So I started defining the group who I was working with, and I really wanted to go after people who wanted to change because there are two types of people. Right. The people in yours who say I'm gonna I, I need to lose weight, and they try to do the New Year's Eve resolution. And the challenge with New Year's Eve resolutions, there is a certain date when typically over 70% of them are already over with. You know what date that is? What is it? Like the 17th of January. Oh, really? <laughs> by that date, 70 to 80% of them have already dropped their New Year's resolution. Yeah, massive. That's, and, and it's, like, it's like, the you know, if you ask them, you know, uh, you know December you know, 31st, oh, I'm committed to this, I need to do it. And there's a couple of reasons why that happens. One, the vision. Two, they have no strategy. And three, there's no emotion behind it. Nice. So when I started working with athletes, uh, I work with a lot of kid athletes, typically kids that are all American, are trying to get to the Olympic level, or scholarship level. Um, the reason I like working with them is when I'm talking to the parents, they already have a track record of getting up, very, very little sleep, defeats, the struggles, the pains, the broken bones, you know, the upsets and everything else. Two or three years in, while managing school, while traveling, right? And I'm thinking, if we'll do that, they'll listen to what I have to say and not just think it's, you know, oh, I've already tried that. Right. They have no meat in the game. Yeah. So there's a difference when I'm working with somebody. I have to find out: Are you really in for this? And what's the track record? What's at stake here if you don't do it? What is it you will lose? Um, and then, of course, the future: What is it you're going to get out of it? How would you be different as a person? What would you notice? How would you behave? And, and kind of go from that area over there. And it's fun because everyone is different. It's not a script. Right. Right. When I'm working with somebody, I have an outcome. So if I'm working like with, I work with groups of, um, you know, cross country runners or I'm working with a different group. I have 12 or 15 people. While they all may kind of want to tell me that they're there for the same thing as to win, let's say, they're actually all there for different reasons. And if I can learn to adapt to get them to go in there for their reasons, either I want to be proud or my parents want to make me proud or I want to do this or I'm just showing up my best friend, whatever that reason is, if we can engage that part and have them use it, that's where you win. And it's really understanding the person or the group that you're working with there. And it's almost like taking a moment and instead of just eating dinner or doing something mindlessly you just start taking each bite and understanding each piece of it in, in kind of a, a, a in kind of a way and people are amazing i mean every time i work with a client i'm like oh my god if i had that ability or skill my life would be like way up here because yeah. they all have these amazing energies yeah. and they have yeah. these um uh, amazing ways of looking at things or solving problems or growing and growth and to me um it never gets old I could be tired, worn out, but when I'm in front of a client and they're talking to me and I'm really starting to learn what they do and how they do it and working through struggles and helping them their victories, uh, that is a high you can't get over. It is really, really awesome. Because there's an applause. Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you, because and I, work, and I work with some younger athletes, sometimes I feel like I just have a hard time getting anything out of them. So I'm kind of curious, yeah. you know, and, and in fact, this I'll tie this into the question we had from a gentleman on our Facebook post, kind of, at, you know, leading into this. It's like, man, so, and I've seen them too. There are some kids, and let's just be honest, this extrapolates to older adults too, but sometimes it's hard to get it 
out of them, right? It's like, come on, give me something. So what's a trick or how do you work with that to, to get them to spit it out? You know, what, what, right. what is your vision or how would this help you? Okay. So that's a good question. The, the, the way, well, my outcome is to have them walk out better than they walked in. That's the first thing I have to base it on. What you're using is an audio trigger. In other words, you're saying I need him to tell me or I need her to tell me. Well, some people just aren't that way. Maybe they're more kinesthetic. Okay. They're more feeling. And if they have a word, now they have to think about this. When you're first born, we learn more, I believe, from like the time you're first born to three years old than we do the rest of our lives. Now, you got to consider this. Language isn't really a part, really a part of our kids, of our lives. Even at three years old, there's only a few pieces of word, but we have no way of putting words to our emotions, our feelings. Right. But there is a way that we did learn. What's the number one way that we learn from zero to three? I guess by modeling. I mean, a lot of vision and watching. That's it. We are, we like to think that we're individual. We're not. We are copies of people we, we model. Right. Right. And if we have emotions, pain, stresses, um, uh, you know, love, excitement, um, inspiration. And you have it at that age. Unless you're taught a word or how to understand what that emotion is, you're not going to be able to form it. Right. So if I say, well, that's pretty, someone may, may say that's breathtaking. So what you may be happy is somebody, if they're not like guys, typically are going to be significant driven in the way they talk. I'm doing this. Look at my award. All my friends look at me. I'm the kind of alpha. That's not that's not 100 percent on their way. But typically guys are like that. Girls, when I work with them, are community. They want the team, typically. I want to be a part of something. I want to help. They both have it. It's just how they want to do it. So guys, typically, you're going to give you one or two word answers right. of what they want. How you start doing this is when I'm working with somebody and I'm learning about them, I'm going to ask them, so why did you get into what you did? What was one time that you had where you're like, man, I just did that? What was one thing you're really proud of? And as you start asking questions, that if you're intently looking for an answer or to understand their world, they'll start telling you whether it's a breath or an emotion or they go, wow, this one time. And they start sinking into that. Well, now you know what to look for. That's your kind of you're going, ah, I felt that they were attached to that feeling. What was that like? How was that? And you can start engaging and start moving from that layer. And that's also a part of trust. That means that, oh, if they're willing to listen to me and engage as part of me, because no one ever asked me this question the way you do, I will share more with you now. Right, right. So a few things going on. How long do you find it takes for someone to build trust with you where you, they start to kind of let you in on, on these specific feelings that drive them? Everyone's different. But you think, but you, here's here's what I mean. When, if I go see a doctor, I'm already primed to tell them stuff that I wouldn't tell anyone else. Right. Sure. That's yeah. I would. I'm going to tell a doctor certain things that I wouldn't tell a person if I'm probably sitting in a line in a grocery store. So part of the where you're at is you're priming somebody. So if I'm going to do see, if I'm seeing you, I'm already primed. Right. Someone comes to see me, they're already primed. There's the, oh, I'm coming to see this guy. He's a hypnotist. Is he going to make me do something I shouldn't be doing or whatever? <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, I do see this. I use a lot of other things. I love mindfulness. I use a lot of stuff of really learning how the person can understand how their mind works, how they visualize it, and how they can use it for learning. 
Because if you can learn how to create, imagine, or pretend something in your mind, it doesn't know the difference between reality and what's imagined. And we do this in dreams all the time. Uh-huh. So that is where I always will go with my clients. I understand them. We start having discussions how they visualize or imagine, and we start with little things and building up there. Because if I can have that vision and your mind so powerful, now your mind is that much more apt to go after it. Let's um, use this in, in two two parts. So let's diversify that in the rehab world. I'll give you like a case study, and then let, yeah. let's talk about a little bit about how that looks in like a performance, maybe higher level performance, right? Perfect. Um, let's start with someone to to play a role here. They got knee pain. They've been a, a strong runner all their life. They run top yep. numbers in marathons, but all of a sudden they find themselves unable to even really compete. They're limping around the house. I guess to use your expertise, I'm kind of wondering where would you tap into someone like that and how could you shift their mental toughness to help them get over whatever the roadblocks are to get back to where they want to be? Right. Well, let's consider what you just said. You said that they were a runner. That's an identity. Right. Well, if we can't, it, we are always remain consistent to our identity no matter what. That's really our trademark. Here's the thing about it. And this happens all the time. Whenever we have an identity shift or change that is planned or unplanned and we don't shift it, it's not going to end well. So if you have someone, let's all just take um, like the runner you talked about. If that's their identity, they get up no matter what they are. I'm a runner. Uh, it can be male, female. We'll just use them. Is it a male that we're talking about here? Sure. Let's make it a male. Perfect. We can use either or. Yeah. We'll just say let's say it's a male. He's always run. Let's say he's in his 40s. Yeah. Okay, let's say he's a 40s runner. He's been running his whole life. He's already been in and out. Now he's having this challenge where he's having this knee problem. If he can't do what he's known his identity is for, and he really doesn't know how to expand his identity, it's not going to end well. He's, he's going to be unhappy. Um, he'll probably do things that are out of the ordinary because what he's trying to do is get back to where he was. And now if he goes to bed at night, let's go to sleepless. There's a, there's a lot of reasons why someone may not be able to sleep or lose sleep. But let's say I'm a runner. And let's say my wife, my, let's say my life on the other side of the spectrum is awesome. Got a great wife, kids, money's fine, travel. Let's say spiritually, yeah. I'm going. Right. Right. But if I identify as a runner and I can't do that, guess where I'm going to be going? In my mind. Right. I'm trying to fix it. Now, who am I? I'm not able to run. What's going to happen? You see this in professional athletes. When they're done being like an NFL or a boxer or whatever else, who am I? Right. Exactly. And usually when they have the person, and that's when they have like what we call a parks conflict. Part of me was this person. Now I'm not. What do I do? So what you have to do is understand the world. And then we have to learn how to create that, uh, create the identity so it's fluid within the whole thing. So he's a runner, but he's also a dad. He's also a professional. He's also spiritual. Right. He's also a husband. He's also a best friend. And if we start aligning all those areas to more identities, now he has more resources to win. It's a, it's like if you and I were getting in a car and we were heading down to Disney World and we only had one way to get there. And as we're driving on the road, we're doing great. Man, we're on this trip. We're heading down to Disney World. We're in the car. We're having a great time. They just opened up. And uh, it's the only road that's there. And let's say there's a roadblock and the road's not going to be open for three weeks. How do you think we're going to feel? Yeah, probably not too good. Yeah, we're going to be like, oh, this sucks. We planned for it. If we can't go to Disney World, who do we think we are? And this is obviously a different aspect. 
Right. You know, who are we? But if you go, oh, you know what? No problem. I just pulled up Google Maps. I've got five different ways to get there. You can go this way over here, this way over here, this way over here. Oh, wait a second. We can actually take this over here. There's actually a cool little stop off that has some nice memorabilia aboard Disney. Nice. And we can bring it with us down there and have to have a better time. So what you're looking to do is build more resources, but you also want to find out what does their identity say about Because if their identity only puts them in a box, we need to learn what that box is useful for and then what we need to do differently about it. Man, that's deep, but I love it. It's... I think to your point, being able to expand your identity, right? In other words, like if you've got, let's say, I don't know however many you listed there, but let's say there's 10 buckets of potentially different identities they have. Uh, right. They have all their eggs in just that bucket of being a runner. It right. feels like that might be a little bit of a tougher journey uh, for us to help that someone through versus maybe someone's a little more balanced, right? They're also a very strong dad, strong husband, uh, strong in their business. It's like they are diversified, right? Maybe they're not taking a hit as hard and maybe they'll, they'll have a better chance of recovering. Is that fair? Well, it, it's part of that is, so let's say the outcomes are I want to run, but I'm going to ask them what, here's the, I don't even go deeper than this. So people, if I work with an athlete, they'll usually say, I want to win or I want the gold or I want the scholarship. That's fine. But what happens when you get that? Right. That's actually a good question. That's the word. Cause if I can go do that now, I win. Well, you know, if I get that, then my parents will be proud. Or I can show my friends this, or I know that I've worked for it or whatever. And as you're doing that now, how does that feel? Now we take something that was an unconscious program. We have now made it conscious. Right. Now can link it, and now we can start utilizing that. And utilization is key here. So if he's a runner, I know the energy. I can find out energy where this person's at. But it's like if I take my house that I have here, and I try to put this house... I uh, go, this is how my house, I've always loved it, it's safe, it's secure, I can do what I want to, it's who I am. But then I try to go put this on the banks of North Carolina, on the Outer Banks. It's not going to work. Right. If this is my only house, and I don't have any other way around it, and that's the only way I can do it, it's just not going to, I'm going to be struggling, I will be unhappy, I'll be stressed and frustrated. And when people say think positive... That's the biggest, that's the worst thing someone can do to do to you at that time. It's the wrong time to say something like that. Right. What you have to say is, Chris, why would you want this house here? What I really want is to be able to see the waves flowing from the ocean, the beautiful sunrise, because that just makes me feel great. Yeah. Then we would reverse engineer that and we would build from there. Let me ask you, this, this kind of sounds funny, but I'm thinking of some of even uh, clients I worked with in the past, um, and I've even talked to other therapists that agree. This might sound funny, but sometimes clients are almost fearful, it seems, of actually achieving what they want. Yes. I'm really kind of curious to pick your brain on that because it, it, it made, you made me think of it when you said, what happens when you actually get there? Yeah. Um, and I've asked some similar questions to people like that. and It was odd, but it, you could almost see fear, like, right? They're almost like comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense. Right. Well, so comfortable being uncomfortable is something that Tim Grover had actually put together. Tim Grover uh, uh, was, um, if you know who he, you know who he is? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I, I really don't know much more than that. He was actually a strength co uh, coach for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. And he, he has a book called Relentless. And the way he used that term was, is, is uh, what I look to look for, and it's the grit. Right? That's the grit factor of that. The way you just talked about it was, is again, people will always remain consistent to their identity because outside of that, they don't know how to control it. 
because we have to we, we have to think that we have some sort of certainty in our life. Nice. If I'm a runner, it's it's good because if I'm a runner, I can use that to build it. If I can use that fear to actually design what I want, or I can use that fear to limit no limit me. Because on the opposite side, I could say, well, yeah, I could do this, but I can't control the wind or I can't control the team. And then what would my parents think about me? Or, or my, my team who's expecting me to throw that one pass? Right. So we have to look to see really what that fear is doing for me. And here's the other thing, too. The brain is always doing stuff to protect you, right or wrong. Nice. The unconscious mind has to make you right. Nice. It cannot. It does not differ. Like your conscious mind is there. It's a slower part of your mind. In other words, you can only focus on five to seven things at one time. Your subconscious mind can focus on a million things going on from body regulation to the 10,000 cells in your body that just have died to the 10,000 that just came back, all renewed with the, the genes and everything. But it's, it's always going to try to keep you healthy and safe. So if someone's even doing something that doesn't look like it's in their favor, the brain thinks it's doing it in their favor. You have to really get the emotional side and have to find out why is it they're doing that. In other words, they may take one step forward and two steps back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Taking that vision, finding out what they want, and then going, oh, this is what happened here. Not to ignore it or not to say who I am because it's not. Unless you've actually crafted your identity, you're everybody else. Let's just right. kind of put that out there. Right. Um, Unless you're doing that, you're not doing what it's designed to do, and that's to serve you. So when people have stresses and fears, when I'm looking, how can you use that? What is it telling you? What would you notice about that? Instead of people who are significant-driven or certainty-driven, well, I'm just going to ignore it and act like I'm not there. Right. Yeah, that's right. When it's snowing outside and it's cold and you don't want to be out there. But if it's stopping you from your bigger purpose, you're not doing You're not doing yourself any favors or anyone else around you. Nice. really like that. And let me ask you, do you, do you deal with a lot of, I guess, performance anxiety in sports or just in the team? It's so always, you will see it more in athletes at that level or people at that level have more risk. More risk. And it's always the risk. So I have work with professors, uh, business people who are closing these big deals because they're like, well, maybe I was the guy that did it before, but can I do it again? It's now imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome can come in where, God, if they really find out that I'm scared and I don't know how to do this, uh, you know, they won't do it. And that's actually very common. Happens in a lot of celebrities, a lot of athletes have what they call imposter syndrome. What they usually do will design an alter ego or a different identity to help them go out there and own it. Wow, that's interesting. What so Kobe Bryant, for example, partway through his career, um, was struggling. He wasn't where he was at. And then he decided he was watching this thing about a black mamba in Australia, about the snake. And he's like, God, he saw how fearless it was, how it made it attacks, what it did. And he goes, I'm going to become black mamba. So, so when Kobe Bryant goes on to the court or practice, he's black mamba. When he comes off it, he's now Kobe Bryant, the dad, or whatever, and rest in peace, he's not here anymore. But that's how he was with his like, and, you know, obviously with his daughter, he was different because they had that, you know, unique bonding relationship. With his wife, he was a husband, not the black mamba. So you would see that as you look at his life. Great athlete, great parent, obviously amazing life. But that's what he did with his life. I'm quite, I'm curious. Is there like some part of, like a, of a wrestling match from an identity purpose? Like let's say he steps out on that and he wants to become the mamba, right? 
but yeah. is there some sort of gravity or affinity for the pre-existing conscious mind to like pull him back and say, no, 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 like you're, you're Kobe, right? Where that yeah. fear would basically come back up. Right. So what you're talking about there is, again, we have these, we have these conflicts, right? Well, this is who I am. It could be the imposter syndrome if people can find me out. This is where it starts. When I'm working with somebody, so we get clear about their outcome. But then you have to come back to now, and we have to start designing. If I had that, if I had that win, or if I had that house, or if I made this purchase, or if I got that job I wanted, I would be feeling like this. And then what we do is we step into that, and we start designing that now. The other thing that I do with people, and this is where my hypnosis uh, my mind visualization, the mind gym that we create with people come into play. Because if the mind can't separate what is reality and what is imagined, we start learning how do we start designing that in the mind. So if we look at the power of what that is, there was a study that was done. It's, it's, it's been a few years now where it was the basketball study where they took really three different groups. Group A, I think this is for 30 days is what they did. Group A just shot basketballs um, uh, for four hours. Group B shot basketballs for um, three hours and then vividly imagined shooting the basketball for an hour. Okay. Group C just didn't do anything. They were just a controlled group. After the 30 days out of group A, which was just shoot the ball for four Four, uh, four hours, group B, which had the three hours of shooting and then the one hour of visualization, and group C, which one do you think had the most improvement? Because you're asking me on this, I'm wondering if it was just the people that thought about it. Right, right. So when they looked at it, the group that actually shot the ball for three hours and then visualized it for an hour actually had a 30% improvement. Wow. Over the 30s. Yeah, they, they outpaced, well, they outpaced the, the group that I was in four times. And the reason is the mind is always right um, and the body's not. Wow, that's fascinating. So if you learn how to create that and you start rewiring that in your mind, and when you look at different studies, they did another one where they took two people who didn't know how to play piano. And what they did is they did an imaging of their mind. And um, what they did is they had one person who practiced the keys on the piano just to a, a, an easy song or whatever else. And they did that for like an hour a day. The other person just vividly imagined practicing on the piano. When they looked at the MRI, they could actually see the brain circuits on both the person that did the piano playing, as well as the person who never touched the piano, both were growing the networks. Wow. Now that is something to consider because all we do is we sit around and imagine the worst in our fears. Right. What can happen? Oh my God, what happens with this? If this never overcomes, and what if I don't do that? What if they don't find out? What your mind focuses on, it puts attention to. So now we have to, if you're going to feed, if you're going to feed a, you're either going to feed the, the weeds or you're going to feed the flower. Right, right. You can decide which way you're going to do that every day and every moment you get to decide that. And am I feeding the weeds or am I feeding the flower? Nice. And then that's kind of a conscious thing. And then you need to start building that every day. It's sort of like reps. If I go in the gym, I can't go in there one day going, I'm ready for the Arnold Classic. Nope. I've got to earn the right to walk in the gym in the first place and then start doing some push-ups. Right. And it's the same thing with mindset and visualization and how you build that out. So when I'm working with somebody, we start small and we start building more and more and we start building that framework. We start designing it and then we start future pace and all of it. Um, Sherry, I'm going to give her a shout out. She said a really good comment I wanted to bring up. She said, love this. I incorporate visualizations with my clients too. Patients do, especially the first run back after injury. 
or back pain patients that have had a fear of movement, amazing results. And that's actually something I was going to ask and maybe confirm with you. It's like, yeah, maybe there's a, a place for an emphasis on mental preparation, particularly with the rehab side of things, right? 100%. And here's the reason why. Go ahead. I think you're going to talk more. Go ahead. Well, what crossed my mind is like, and this, <laughs> this could just be me, but damn, I have a really hard time. Like even during meditation at night, I've been trying to stick to like, I use the Calm app and I'll try to, you know, listen to what she says for 10 minutes, right? I try to like, you know, zero in on that. I'm going to be honest, man. Like I have a really hard time staying focused to just that 10 right. thing, right? And, and you said yeah. an example of that study. Uh, visualizing shooting hoops for an hour. I'm like, holy yeah. Moses, like my, I, I don't even know if I could do that. So I guess maybe that says something or could be some form of improvement. Well, here's the one thing that I always do with my clients. There's a few different visualization and mindfulness techniques that I do. Mindfulness for me is really a home run hitter. And if you use mindfulness, people use apps. And I also use another type of thing. I do box breathing. And I'll typically do box breathing uh, for about 30 minutes a day. What do you mean box or, breathing? So box breathing, it's, it's, it's a really cool technique. Many SEALs have done it to remove. Okay. Reason, you know, we're going to start here. When, we, when, we look at, when you're looking to change state in anybody, in other words, if they're not in a good place or you need them to change, you always change the breath first. Nice. Okay. If you can just pace and just breathe in a few times and then breathe out, just kind of just do the whole relaxation. Once you do that, the body now goes from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic part of the body. Right. When the parasympathetic body and the sympathetic body are now aligned, you have what you call the yoga or the zen state or the flow state. That's what you're trying to do. When you start doing breaths, especially at seven seconds, you're now aligning your mind and body. Not only that, your heart aligns too as well. The full breath takes seven seconds? So what you do is on, on, on box breathing, it starts like this. You would breathe in for seven seconds. Oh, breathe in for seven. Oh, yeah. Like oh, a yeah. long eight, breath seven. in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do seven to eight now wow. is where I'm at. Oh, uh, yeah. But doing three seconds at first was more of a – if people are like, oh, I can do that. At three seconds, most people are panicking and want out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is why it's so cool because as you start growing in this, you start ruining to see how your brain starts, starts freaking out. There's an art to that I'll go into in a second. So you breathe in for seven. You hold for seven. Wow. Breathe out for seven. Hold. Wow. So hold for seven after you exhale? Yeah, you're, it's seven all the way. I see. Got it. So it's a, and the reason it works so well is when the brain has a fear mechanism. So in other words, let's say something happens and the fight or flight mechanism kicks in. What most people say is calm down. Right. You're already like, <laughs> oh, yeah, calm down. Yeah. Right. So trying to, it's like telling someone to calm down when they're upset rarely goes, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right. I should calm down and think about this from exactly. a logical level. So true. That probably ticks them off even more. Yeah. Right. They're freaking out. You don't think you know this. And they start, you you know, until they walk away, come back later, go, gee, maybe I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Right. So what happens when you have a fear state, it goes in the front part of your mind, everything engages, you tend to do things you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. When you do the seven pass, what starts happening is, is the mind, let's, so, let's say I'm in a fearful state. Um, 
And this is what would happen with people who are, let's say I'm a, a Navy SEAL or I'm, I'm, a, I'm out in the field. And I've got bullets flying around me, right? Or I'm in an unsure situation. I can tell myself to calm down. But what's going to happen is my mind's going to look at my body and say, you're freaking out. And we'll do it this way. If someone is freaking out or in a stress state, are they breathing fast or slow? Fast. Right. Are they breathing fully or is it just on the very top here? Typically, yeah, they're breathing to the top. That's where it's at. So what the mind does is it goes, okay, I'm going to check to see what's going on here. It sees the fast breath. It sees the that it's coming through the tension up here. That's going to go, I ignore the suggestion. You're still freaking out. So what the breathing does when you do something like a box breathing, for example, you start doing the seven seconds, you do that for a round of 10. The mind is always checking, going, wait a second. He's taking long breaths. They're not short. Oh, I must be okay. Feedback loop. And that's exactly what it, and it, all of a sudden you start switching. And when you can start noticing when that happens, now it's like, oh, now I know. Now we're going through the levels of learning, right? You know, the four levels of learning? Yeah. Okay. So it's that whole thing. Now I'm aware that at one time I never knew I had shoes on my feet. Now I know I can. Right. Now I've got to learn how to tie them. And now I can tie my shoes and put them on without having to think about it. Speaking of that. How do you apply that? Because I'm, you know, thinking to myself, man, I going back to your analogy, am I, am I putting more water in the weeds or the, or the flowers? Right? When we just go through our thoughts. I'm first I'm like, man, I think of so many thoughts on a daily basis. Like yep. that would feel almost exhausting to try to regulate that. Right? right? And how do I really win this war? How do I how do I start to in terms of mental toughness and just fortitude? And, and understanding the volume of thoughts that we have on a daily basis, because I'm sure some people right. are you know, like, well, shit, I'm sure it'd be nice, but yeah. how am I going to start? I mean, I guess maybe it's influencing your identity to some extent. I don't know if that crosses over into that, but I guess to start yeah. thinking more optimistically to catch yourself going down that road and start putting water in the flowers instead of the weeds. There we go. So, you, you brought up, this is where mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness is not being aware of the thoughts. Mindfulness is knowing that I was off track. How do I get back on? Now, if you can do that, what your mind just learned, even though I get off track, I can always get back to where I need to be. So part of when you're doing a goal or, or, or when you're with all the thoughts in the mind, and there are some studies that say any, that we can have up to 80 to 100,000 thoughts per day. 80 to 100,000. Yeah, and you have some different studies that kind of go in there and whatever else. What they can kind of tell is 80 to 100,000 thoughts per day. Now, here's what's fascinating. Of those thoughts that you have today, they come up with a number that there's a percentage of those thoughts that you had today were similar to the day before. Okay, okay. You know what that that percentage would be? Oh, take a guess? Um... Similar to the day before, man, I feel like each day is so dang different. So, but you're obviously saying that there's some level of similarity. So I'm, I'm going to say 15%. Okay. So when they find out and they start looking at people's thoughts and how they're living their lives, they found out typically you could be 90 to 95% of the thoughts you had today are similar to the day before. Dang. Dang. Now here's the thing about it. And then that, the day before. Yeah. And this now, you ever see the movie Groundhog's Day? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. 
So now what we're doing is we're living in Groundhog's Day and we're wondering why it's not changing. Yeah, exactly. We're going, I'm doing all this, or I'm doing whatever else, because we're feeding the weeds, not the plants. So part of it is when getting clear about what I want. It's not so much the identity, because I could be, want to be a Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan, but when I get out in that court, it's not going to end well for me. Right. I'm 5'10". It's, um, what, 49. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm not going to be able to fly through the air when I'm watching, you know. Right. It's, I may need to have a different day. Well, I could be like Mike. Yeah, I could be like Mike, but it's, again, I need to figure out if, what would I want to be first and then make that direction. You know, um, you have to have the goal first. What is it I really want? And if you can only focus on one thing a day, hey, look, today I'm just going to uh, make the bed or um, clean the house or do the dishes or call somebody. And you say, when I call that person, let's say it's connected with somebody. Say, I want to connect with the person. Maybe my brother, a long-lost friend, parents, whatever, friend. I want to connect with them even just to say hi. And the reason I want to do that is I want to connect with them and make them feel good. And I'll feel like a level thing to do that. The mere fact that you can put that in your mind and you know if you're off course, that you can always adjust to it, shows you that you're winning. Nice. And most people, if I ask them, What's going on? They couldn't tell me what's happening. In other words, I'm always having these thoughts and I'm always scatterbrained. Right. But if I ask them what their outcome was, they can't tell me. It's like if an athlete tells me, I want to win. Well, I need to know exactly what does that mean when you win? How do we even know? Right. Because if you find what it's going to be like when you win and why you want that, you're going to be chasing after everyone else's dreams or what you think they are. And here's, here's an interesting thing. I, I'll, I'll do a conversation to have with an athlete. I was working with a young lady and her dad. Uh, she was top 50 national in um, doing the 100 yards. Okay. Right. And I was asking her, um, well, I asked her dad first. I go, dad, how do you know? Because he was her coach. I said, dad, how do you know that you're winning? He goes, I know that she's winning and doing what she needs to be doing when she's doing all the steps that we trained for. That was it. So as long as she's doing that, I'm already winning. Right. Now I want you to think about what's happening here. I asked the daughter, I think she's like around 12 or 13. Okay. How do you know you're winning? She goes, I know I'm winning when I can look at the clock and see that I beat my time. Oh, wow. What's the problem with that? Those are two totally different ideas of winning. Right. What's the challenge with that, though? Who's got a better strategy? Well, first of all, she's always battling herself. And dad's is more of a structural setup where it's like, are you completing these tasks? And that means. Okay. Right. So what the dad's always, he, dad always knows that he's doing okay. Yeah, oh, she put on her shoe. She didn't know where she's going. Oh, she walked into the room. He's always winning. She doesn't even dad. know. Right. right. She's already in fear, stress and everything else and not sure about herself before she even walks in the track. Right. Think about that. What if she already goes, I'm already winning because I can walk out here and I've, I've earned the right to be. What if she already started that at a level 10? And she's feeding her flowers. Her, absolutely. Do you think her odds of beating her time will go up or go down? I just generally feel like she's going to feel better about herself and I imagine yeah. it will go up. In fact, not only that, if you can put that with a mindset of already winning now, they know that your odds improve by 30%. How I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Uh, what, a, how does complacency potentially infect that process? In other words, if she, if she's like, okay. you know, I showed up 
I, I got here today, like almost being too grateful, right? I did all of everything that daddy said. If I run this, right. then I won. Okay. But she's already met her outcome. She's met her outcome. Okay. Uh, well, then maybe, the you know, she says she won because she she showed up. She's maybe happy because she pleased dad. Maybe she doesn't care about, you know, winning the race. Okay, well, there's, that's a, well, she probably wouldn't be seeing me if that was the case. Okay. Probably, but there could be other things, too. It could be she's saying that to her, and you'll see those athletes who have won something, or even people who have done, who have accomplished something in their life, will go to complacency saying they've already done that. What they're doing is they're fearful. They're fearful. Because who I, at least I can protect myself and I can be over here. If I try to go over this and I don't do it, then people are going to find out about me. Right. So complacency can actually very much protect somebody in a situation where they're like, yeah, I'm already doing it, whatever else. But we know that humans thrive for growth and contribution. So if they're not doing either one of those, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to have to have a little more of a talk. I'm going to need to find out what they really, what's really happening because that means there's more something else probably going on in the background. But no one ever goes, yeah, I'm going to be complacent in my life and not do anything. And look back at it and go, no one ever does that. They made the best kind of change. That's true. But no one ever looks back, yeah, I was complacent my whole life. It was all, you know, I just, I live. Right. That's true. We've got to be growing. Right. So you have to have some growth or contribution. Some people find that, you know, finding a garden. Some people find that being a mother or a father. Some people do that. You know, it's in a huge deal. It's learning how you can find it in the small things that you can win at the But you've got to earn the right to have it now before you can wait for it later. Because if I'm waiting a month or two to feel good about myself, that's 60 days where people around me and myself aren't going to be in a good place. Right. I better feel good about what's going to happen 60 days now, not then. Right, right. I like it. I've got two more things that I want to pick your brain about just having had this conversation. Uh, fear is just something that is common in everyone and every day, probably whether we think about it or not, subconscious level. I, you know, it's hard to be like it's just built with who we are as humans, some level of uh, survivability, right? Even back in the day, out in the forest, hearing some leaves, we look that way. It's part of fear, like survival. So what kind of, and maybe you don't, I'm a technology guy. I always like to bring on technology. So what kind of... Gadgets or toys or strategies do you do to continue to help people overcome fear, which is just so ingrained in us? Right. So the the, the thing that a lot of people come to me, uh, I'll use fear of flying. Fear of what? Or I'll, I can use that one right said that. Are they doing a, a fear of doing a public talk? Oh, okay, perfect. Uh, the the challenge when someone says that they're already doing, they're going into a state where they see them. Fear has a purpose in our life, and that's just to be aware of what's happening. So we would never, ever get. So if someone says they want to be fearless. First of all, I call them under BS because it's there to serve. <laughs> right. Because that's, that's its job. But you wouldn't. But, but if it's going to jail you and make you a prisoner, that's where the problem is going to come in. Right. So you have to learn going, OK, I, I have to do this talk. And you're thinking about people laughing at you or calling you stupid or whatever you're thinking or imagining in your mind. You have to really think about how is it I want to walk off the stage. How is it that I want to walk off the stage? Yeah, right. If I when I walk off here knowing I delivered this speech that knocked them off their socks, I gave them that one nugget that they can apply now, or that I made them smile or laugh or chuckle or at least think about one good thing or do something with it. 
then I've won. And comedians are, are really good at doing this. Obviously, we're not comedians here. I think I am sometimes. My wife reminds me that I'm not. <laughs> like, um, but they're, they're good at creating that instant gratification right here and now. So you have to ask yourself, if I was that and these people were like, man, we, we liked his presentation the best. Or we liked that one thing or they made me think. And they felt good about that. That's how you want to go in with. It's kind of like this. If you were planning a trip, like what is one place you would love to go to? I mean, if it's like your dream experience or location, where would it be? I'm pretty simple, man. I've had some wonderful experiences down in Florida. Uh, I, I just visualize this beautiful weather out. I'm golfing with, golf with the family. We're going to go have a you know great meal at a restaurant. I mean, that, that's simple life. That would be great. Sure. So and when you think about that, going out to, um, you said, what was it in Florida that you were doing? Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we're hanging by the beach during the day. Maybe we're golfing, going out to have a you know a great meal, some simple stuff like that would be awesome. Right. Were you with your friends, I'm guessing, or family? Friends, or what? family. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you like golfing? Yeah. Are you good? Not anymore. <laughs> I, I used to play so, a lot more than I do now. Two kids will do that to you. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Was there a certain time in Florida that you thought, man, that was just the most uh, I loved? It was a, that just really was an experience to this day. Makes you smile. That's what's interesting. I don't know if I have a necessarily timestamp on it. Uh, <laughs> I just have like this general sense of relaxation. Uh, love the sun, calm out, minimal to no stress. At least you know, just out there swinging away, and. Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of what goes to my mind. So you're feeling good about yourself, or what's that like? Yeah, I, um, I, I, I just find that there would be stress keeps something that keeps popping up, popping up in this equation. I just find that that stress is low, really nothing to worry about. Nice. And that's, that's kind of all that goes through my mind with that. Right. What would you call that experience? Oh, that's a good question. I would call that, I would call it rewarding. Rewarding. Perfect. Now we had a label. Okay. So I said to you, you know what, Chad, you and I are going to go have a rewarding experience in 60 days. Yeah, that's, that feels real good. Perfect. That's all we're starting with. Yeah. Now we set that up. Now we make our next decision and we start building from there as a longer journey. So if we ever get off track, we would look at our outcome, a rewarding experience. In this case, it kind of brings a memory of Florida golfing to that calm place like you use your hands. Yeah. Where you actually breathe in easier yeah. and let things go. That's where you want to be building. Until I can see that from you, I can't help you design a win. I had to actually work with you about, I don't know, what, two minutes? Yeah. If you were to watch this, you could see where you're like, you kind of got it, and then you engaged. That's where you want your people to be. Once they're engaged in the experience or the feeling, and then they can name it, now their mind can build from it. Beautiful. Beautiful. So that's what we're looking to do. Yeah, I love that. I love walking me through that. And actually, it's funny you say that. Public speaking is something that I, I've gotten a lot better at, but I remember being terrified. Right. I had this moment in grad school when I stood up, and it was just to say who I was. And I literally right. thought I was about to fall down. I mean, my heart was just pounding. And I even work with a bunch of kind of business owners and stuff. We kind of have this conversation, and a lot of people struggle with that. So it's a it's a good example. But I can see how walking them through. I'm, I'll probably have to go back and watch the replay to see how exactly the formula that you used. 
Yeah. Um, I'm kind of even starting to think in the back of my mind if I can kind of just lay in some of this lightly with some of my clients, put there their label on it. Perfect. Here's where, here's where the art already happens. I could just say my work's already done. And the reason is, is the brain does something really cool. Once it grasps onto something, it starts generalizing out. It cannot not think about something. Right. <laughs> so it's like this. And behind you, I can see a door. But I can also see doors in the other side of you. To an architect, there's a lot of different things going on with those doors. To you or I, it's just a door. We either have like a swinging door, car door, sliding glass door, whatever, these doors. The brain doesn't need to look at each time and go, gee, I wonder what this object is with the handle here that I've got to move. It looks in experience and it goes, nope, it's a door. You just open it, move it, close it, whatever else. Right. So when you now have an experience that you now call what rewarding, was that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Now your mind has to generalize out and see rewarding experiences everywhere else. We now have created what we call a rhizome. A what zone? And now we'll pop see everywhere else, yeah. A what zone, yeah. say? A rhizome. It's sort of like a weed. Okay. You know, if you give a weed, you try to pull it from one area, but below it, it already has these other areas that pop up. Yeah. That's the only thing that we're doing now. So once we name something, we create the emotion, and I use different uh, visualizations with my clients, learning them how to start build that, really getting connected with their body and then going after it. Now they have to see it every day, and their mind will already start considering the different options and the way they can get there based on their outcome. That's rich. So this is when I'm getting calls back saying, oh, my God, it was funner than I thought. Well, yeah, because now you had a new idea. You had a new vision. And even though you were probably scared of doing it, when you walked out, you're like, oh, my God, I did it. That was the coolest thing ever. Right. Right. I love that. And to kind of finish up with the second thing I was going to bring to you, I guess maybe we've even already touched base. Um, but for people who aren't necessarily wizards at all this stuff and walking themselves through questions, how can people... Because I've, I've walked into quite a few more lately now than ever. You just feel like, Chad, I'm not motivated. You know, nothing yeah. motivates me. Um, and, and here's a good case scenario, too. Um, okay. Working out at home, right? There's a lot of people that actually hate working out at home. They miss, yes. myself included to some extent, right? I, I realized when I took my 20 minutes to Gold Gym, there was a lot that happened in those 20 minutes in, in mental preparation, right? In the routine, that I set myself up for. Um, let me kind of make sure I ask the right question here. So okay. how, how can people, let's just keep it generalized at least to start with this. So if for those people out there that are listening and watching and they're like, you know, that's me. I just don't find myself motivated anymore. Uh, let's call her, we'll call her Jill. She's 50 years okay. old, put on a little more fat. She can't get it off. A couple of okay. kids are, you know, maybe it's about empty nest time. Yep. And same old, same old at work. Let's just use that. Right. Scenario. So how does someone like that get motivated again? Well, I want to tell you with that strategy, I'm already bored. <laughs> I want you to consider what she just said there. That doesn't, if you're reading a book for inspiration, I'm already bored. <laughs> no wonder she's not bored. She hasn't figured out if, and again, we're using something. Now here's what it, I'll use a, a different aspect. Mother Teresa. I always had one way of winning, which is made it when she goes, when I can make someone smile, I already win. And she truly believed it. So there's a difference where people, you know, like, well, if I had this, I would already win. That's right. part of it. She had a strategy for winning. Your, uh, the, the, the example you're giving here 
in that, I heard no reason, hey, guys, we're going to kind of go in the field and hopefully we run or do some other things like that, and uh, maybe we'll go to the game next week. You can never talk to an athlete. Right. Right? No, hey, guys, we're going to do this. The reason we're going to do it is because of this. We have this vision so we can walk out and be state champions. If you're not willing, and this other area, if you can't or if you're unwilling to figure out how to make your life, your life fun now, and this is where the test is at. Because everyone can talk a good game when everything's going good. Right. But when it it's stressful and it's tough, like it is now for a lot of people, myself, I find myself having to get out or walk. Because if I don't get out, because in my home, it's my home. Right. But if I'm going to use my home as a workout place where I've never identified that before and it still remains a home to me, in my mind, it's like trying to go to the doctor's office thinking I'm going to be able to order a vodka you know, twist or something. It's not going to work out. She hasn't made the association one. Well, we have a couple of things probably going on. One, I'm curious why she didn't want to change, right? Two, she's labeled probably part of her house as just a home and everything else, an empty nest. She may need to redo that one. What would it be like now as an empty nester? How would she be a role model now? So the other thing, if we're looking for growth and contribution, the one thing that may get her, I'd be asking her, is, is it important? Do you love your kids or grandkids if she has them? What would you like them to remember you for? What's the one thing you love doing with them? And this is where really understanding somebody, not just um, not just thinking you know the answer, but I want to hear her words. Dad, you know what? If I got to do this, it would be important. Or if I got to spend time and do that, man, that would make me feel amazing. Because nice. once we start doing that, then even if she's in her house working out, she may not like it, but she'll still do it. Right. Because Muhammad Ali used to have something where he hated work. He hated um, working out for boxing. Hated it. But he loved the results that got on the other side of it. Right. That has to be... Uh, greater than the resistance to change or whatever barriers, right? That power, that result, emotionally. Right. right. And this is where designing, if I had this, I'd start defining this. Like if I wanted a big mansion on a hill, the very first thing I do is got to find the location. Then I've got to go, man, if I had this mansion, I'd be feeling great. I could see the ocean. But then I've got to lay the framework. I've got to design the different rooms. And as I'm going through designing everything, everything starts changing. It's the same thing here. We start small and we would go bigger. So when 30 days, 60 days, a year out, her life is a complete 180. That's what you're looking for is that, again, that growth is huge. Because if they feel like they're growing, like she may not like working out, but if she can go back, give herself a high five and go, I did it. That's a win. Especially because of whatever that that's results yeah, in. So right. You don't need to have like everyone else. So what, we, what typically happens in your case, you're looking for the visual cues around you. Oh, I now see, was it Gold's Gym? Sure. Is that Yeah, that's where I work out, yeah. Okay. So, it, so in your mind, oh, I'm going to Gold's Gym. This means I must be in this state. This means I may have this energy, and this means I have this physiology. When I walk out, I become Chad, the dad, or the husband, or whatever else I've got to be. Right. It's a different, you use the visual anchor to tell you how to respond. Nice. This way, we learn how to actually create the anchors in our in our environment to support us towards our outcome. So maybe there's some something. Let's just say this woman could do in our house or in part of the house where she could give herself that visual anchor, right? Whether yep. to decorate it, put a gym mat down, and then just yep. leave that part of the house as her visual anchor for working out, not necessarily <laughs> contaminated by the influence of like the empty nest-like syndrome. Don't let it like leak into that room kind of thing, right? Right, right. And that's an identity. Remember, we always, so what happens with people, it's again, when I talk about professional athletes are people who had great careers and then they go home, they're depressed and they're 
outside of a mental problem. They're depressed and everything else. They're going, well, before I could do this, now I don't have anything. I'm not who I used to be. Right. This is where when we have to learn that we're just not who we think we are. We're much more than that. Right. As you said earlier, it's, it's given them different potential identity options, right? But like you right. went into, are you a mom? Are you a grandma? Like, what do you want to be remembered for? Right. And we start expanding that identity that connects with them and go, oh, Oh, yeah, I was a mom, but now I'm this, and now I can see. It's like if I go from the first grade to the second grade, right? I don't go, gee, oh, God, I wish I'd go back to the first grade. No, we're going to take every foundation of what it is and we're going to grow and keep, hopefully keep moving in that right direction. It's the same thing here. And um, if you can get people to connect in small ways, then you know they'll connect in the big ways. That's the most important part. Love it. Man, you weren't kidding when you said we could probably talk for hours if we got on this, so... We're going to have to learn first how people could get in touch with you. Um, I don't know, like your, um, like for example, physical therapists, I have to have like um, a, a law in like South Carolina, North Carolina for me to treat. Um, I'm wondering if you're able to treat people like if someone's listening to this in Michigan, like I, I live in Michigan, so some people still follow me. Are you able right. to provide help like United States? Are you limited to certain areas? Do you do like telemedicine? Right. So let's just let's just uh, one thing. I'm not I'm not a doctor or anything, so I don't I don't prescribe or do anything else like that. Okay. Um, I can work anywhere because I because uh, I'm not anything. I'm not confined in that sort of stuff. I have athletes and people that I work with around the world. Good for you. So, <laughs> of a performance strategist or coach, um, I'm not restricted to have what you may be under some rules and guidelines. I don't have that at all. I'm slightly uh, jealous. I'm actually madly jealous. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of freeing knowing it. But the cool thing about it is that if I'm talking to someone in California or Spain, part of me is like, oh, my God, I get to hear what's happening over there while they're learning or growing. It's, uh, it's fun, yeah. at least. Heck, yeah. So you'd be able to hop on and uh, kind of Skype call or Zoom call or something like that, especially in the yeah. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. I've done that before this happened anyways. Now it's just we're seeing it a lot more that this where this is kind of going is in this type of situation anyways. So, okay. yeah. All right, so that's good to know, especially during these times right now. And then secondarily, in terms of like the structure of working with you, is it something like uh, they get on the phone and, and make sure it's a good fit? Do they, I guess let's fast forward to when it's normal times again, whatever that means. Uh, they come in and do like an assessment and then you come up with like a plan of care or how does that, how does it okay. work? Well, this is good. Whether I'm working with them over um, – you know, phone or Skype or in person, it's pretty much going to be the same thing. One, I'm going to talk to them because I want to make sure that really what it is and who they are and that they're actually driven for what they want, that it's not hopefully I need you to fix me or something else like that that may be going on. Once we decide that, then we decide, okay, this is what we're going to do. Either we're going to meet weekly via this way or we're going to be doing this. And we, we build a structure on that way, whether it's for a month or three months or we work long term than that. Um, it's how it's again, it's going to be goal based. What do we got to do? What's our outcome? Where do we want to be? And then we look for the progress in between. Excellent. Perfect. So, um, for those listening, I'll make sure to put all your information down below. Whether you caught us on Facebook, we'll put it in there. YouTube, we'll put it in there. And the podcast notes, we'll put all the information in there. Uh, absolutely freaking awesome. I know I've learned a lot. And there's some stuff that I could already go play with myself. Um, Good. And I don't think I'll ever get that reward and that <laughs> feeling out of me now, by the way. Like, that's right. probably ingrained, but it's kind of interesting to see how, like, deeply ingrained that is. So it makes me, yeah. and this, not that it's doubtful, but it's like, man, this stuff can really work. 
just because the way I right. well, that, what I just went through with that. Well, I want you to think about this. What happens at night when you start going to bed? And you start leaving that one thought and let it play with it now in your mind, and you wake up. Right. Kind of gross, you know. Yeah, exactly. Synapses. It, it connects with my my map of this life already, and it kind of integrates itself in other ways, which is all good. Right. Absolutely. So, absolutely. This has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate it. Um, so, thanks for those that hopped on. And Chris, any final words? Uh, you know what? Um, if for any of the listeners out there, just go on, go all in with who you are now. I mean, just have fun with it because tomorrow's may not come and today's all you got. So whether you're just hanging out or you got something going on with family, just look at it with a luscious spice and just go into it and just have fun with it all. Thanks again, man. I'll be talking to you, you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's primetime episode. If you have any questions or comments regarding this episode, just email me at chadk at pr1memovement.com. That's chadk at primemovement.com. Thank you.